0: sharp,
1: pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I
2: feel I have an obligation to make sure that government power is not abused. I mean, I think that's one of the principal roles of the Attorney General.
0: In my 30 years as an agent, I have never witnessed the conditions we are currently facing on the southwest border. This is not a manufactured crisis. Border Patrol continues to apprehend record numbers of people who purposely violate U.S. immigration laws.
3: This is a government takeover. Folks, when you hear government insurance, don't just hear the word insurance, hear the word government. And now,
0: Stacy Washington.
3: Welcome back to the program. I'm Stacey Washington,
4: host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. And we had a jam-packed first hour, both guests in the first hour, which was fantastic. And now we're going to have you. So we're going to go straight to the phones. If you want to join us, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, Richard in Texas, hey, thanks for calling the show today.
2: Oh, thank you. I, I was listening to your, the income tax and what she was saying about the, uh, the lobby from the uh, tax preparers and stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And first of all, I don't have a lot of sympathy for them because there's been a lot of industries that have gone out of, gone away. No more horseback boogies. No more, no more, uh, no more uh, <laughs> uh, Betamax machines. You know, things change. You know, that's just we have, we have to deal with that all the time. But I don't really think that that's. I don't think that's the big impetus for our tax problems. I think the big impetus for our tax problem is the politicians. Yep. They use our tax structure to control us. They, they, discern, they determine what's going to be deductible and what's going to be taxed more. They also do that same thing with the industries, and that's how I think they get a lot of their uh, campaign donations because, mm-hmm. well, that guy's going to make our industry uh, tax-exempt or something like that or what we're doing here. We're going to give him a lot of money to be elected. It's all part of their manipulation by using the tax structure as we have it now. If it was simplified, everybody paid a certain amount, you know, a flat rate, they wouldn't be able to do anything.
4: Yeah. You know what they'd end up doing? They'd find something else to try to control us with, but they wouldn't be able to do it with taxation. And you know what else I think would end up happening? Aside from the economic boom, which is built into that cake, if you have less of a tax structure and less of people kind of making their decisions based on what would generate more taxable income. There's also the issue of, uh, it's like the dishonest portions of the government tend to thrive in this area. We've seen, we saw things with the Obama administration using IRX tax exemptions to shut down political movements like the tea party. I mean, there's a lot of really bad behavior that's connected to this whole scheme.
2: Yeah. They don't want to get rid of it for that reason. We we're in Texas. We don't have an income tax. We have a state sales tax. That is the most fair way to tax. No one gets away from it unless they buy food or medicine. Everyone pays their fair share of taxes, and there's no cheating on it. Yet. I mean, you have to watch the businesses in case of business cheats, but that's pretty easy to find them. But other than that, it's a real simple process. You know, April 15th doesn't mean anything to us here in Texas except for the federal.
4: Okay. So can we talk about that just for a second? Because I feel sure. like you're you're my first guest of our two. Um, so, Richard, you live in Texas. and I was born in Texas, so I'm still honorarily I'm a Texan. I, I, at oh, heart, Texan. cowgirl boots. Th- thank you. I, I was born there. I'm a Texan. But you also have a little something. It's like an outsized amount of people move from high tax areas to your state because yeah. you don't have an income tax. So you have a, a booming real estate market, and you have a lot of growth there that comes from people coming in seeking to lower their tax burden. Right. So what do you think that does for you, like in the, in the arena of your economy there in Texas, and your economy is bigger than some European nations, how do you think that impacts your economy? Because like, this is the kind of conversation that states have to have. If they want to draw people in, they have to look at eliminating or drastically reducing their income tax.
2: Right. Uh, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, yes, it booms our economy. We have industries coming in here. You know, unemployment goes way down because you've got new industries moving in, and they, don't want, they want to get away from California and New York. The only problem we have with it is the people from those states come here for that tax, the tax advantages, but they don't leave their politics back there. Mm. That's when it gets a little tough because all of a sudden we've got Californians and New Yorkers enjoying the wonderful freedoms of Texas, but they want to... They want to manipulate it more like they were doing in California and, and, and New York, and, and that, which is stupid because then they just end up like them again.
4: Mm, yeah, yeah, because you, you have your, metro, your metropolitan areas like Dallas and Austin, which are liberal strongholds, and they're kind of doing things to undo the, the freedom that is Texas, aren't they?
2: Yes. So, Like I said, it's a double-edged sword. There's advantages, but there's a, I think the, the disadvantage is real big.
4: Mm. All right, well, Richard, thank you for that. I appreciate your um your comments there and and explaining how you guys are doing taxes down in Texas. I think other states that have done the same thing have seen the same kinds of economic booms. I'm thinking tech, uh, Tennessee, they have no income tax and, and they do very well as well. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate your calling and listening to the show. Uh, Daniel in Kentucky, Hey Daniel, thanks for calling in. Oh Hey Daniel, thanks for calling in. Hey. Hey there. What's your comment? Well, about the
2: border situation, I'm, 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 I'm just tired of uh, Congress. We try and try to send people, <laughs> vote people in, and then, well, all across the, nation, of course, it's everybody. You know, uh, we, uh, I just, I'm just very upset with Congress, and uh, there's, well. <laughs> As it says, in the end times, there will be these things that we're seeing, calling good evil and calling mm-hmm. evil good. So, mm-hmm. uh, over to you, and I'll just uh, listen out unless you'll uh, stay no, on the line or something. Thank
4: you. Thank you, Daniel. And we'll we'll let you go. Um, Daniel, thank you for that, that comment. And the Bible scripture that you just quoted is apt. It's perfect. Um, we do see people calling evil good, namely infanticide, open borders, um and really ignoring the cries and plight of Americans who are desperate for the kind of help that we're currently doling out to illegal aliens like our veterans who are homeless um we have mentally ill population that is no longer they no longer have a mental health care industry that stood up specifically for them because liberals dismantled it back in the the 80s and the 90s and we're seeing we're literally saying to citizens American citizens who've some of them have left their limbs over in the desert. They've left their body parts in the desert. And some of them left their sanity there. They have PTSD and they have all kinds of issues. And we're saying, you know what, just head over to the VA and, you know, take your chances there. Roll your dice over there. Meanwhile, illegal aliens come on in, get some free schooling, free, you know, welfare, free health care. Go ahead and drop a couple of anchor babies and let's let's take care of you. And that is really to me, it's the it's the the well the Bible says you're worse than an infidel if you don't take care of your own family. And these are people who they've not only served our country, but they're back here and we owe it to them to do whatever we can to help their situation. I don't mean we should take care of every single person who's a veteran lock, stock and barrel and they should never have to work. But if someone has PTSD from doing multiple tours in Iraq or Afghanistan, we certainly should be doing more for them than we should for an illegal alien. And for those who say we should do both, but in what order? Since you think we can do everything at once and you know we can't, Uh, you know, in what order? who 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 takes precedence in your mind if you say an illegal alien, you're done. I'm done talking to you. I don't have anything else to say to you because you're one of those half wits dolts and ninka poops I was talking about in the first hour. I don't have time to communicate with that kind of um you know low grade mental activity. Sorry, I just don't um so uh, this is this is an issue for us, and we have got to do better about who we send to washington d c and how we manage those people, namely. I mentioned this before, but I want to keep this realm of conversation, uh, you know, within our, our primary thought process, which is we must write letters to Congress. We must write letters to our elected officials, whether they're mayors or whoever. We have to make sure that we can get them either to respond to us or we know if they don't respond that we won't be voting for them next time. And I, I, this, my, my new thing is, cause I, what I used to do is if I had an elected official, you know, that, that was unresponsive to me, I would post it on Facebook and you should see how fast they get back with you. If you post something on Facebook and you have a pretty decent amount of people on Facebook, they'll, they'll see it. Someone in their office will say, this person's talking about you on Facebook and you haven't called them back and they'll call you right back. What that tells me is the only way I can be responded to as a constituent is if I have 10,000 people on my personal Facebook page. Well, I do. But what about people who don't have that many? What if you're a light Facebook user and you have 400 people on Facebook? That means you can't get an answer back from your elected official. So instead of outing them and getting a response, I'm just waiting. I'm currently in this situation where I reached out to my elected official here locally in Missouri and he has not responded. And so instead of outing him on Facebook and giving him an opportunity to treat me special because I have 10,000 people on Facebook, I'm not doing anything. He doesn't have to answer my questions. He doesn't have to respond to me and I don't have to vote for him. And when he's up for reelection, I can easily just say then that he's non-responsive on Facebook to 10,000 local people here in this area. And then I will say I'm planning on voting for his opponent or I'm writing in someone else's name, Daffy Duck, Mickey Mouse, or some person who would actually really do a good job at it. A a bunch of us can just write that person's name in. Maybe enough of us will write in the name of someone who really could do a good job that that person would step in and do it. And the other person who can't be bothered to answer a phone call would be out of a job. Because these people, I have a friend who he told me once, years ago, we were talking about politics, and he was serving in the state senate here in Missouri, and he said, you know, on my tombstone, it's not going to say state senator, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as, as, as the most lofty thing that I did. I hope it says husband, father, you know, Christian husband, father, and uh, he, he actually has a day job, but he served in the, the Missouri senate for a while. And he said, but for a lot of these people that I serve with, that is it. The pinnacle of their life is serving in the, United, in, in the Missouri State Senate. And he says, if you keep that perspective, it helps you to understand their actions. It helps you to understand why they, they're so puffed up and they feel like they have so much power because they're serving in the state Senate. And you do have power there. And there's a lot of opportunities to make money and enrich yourself and to really change the direction of, of uh, you know, legislative actions, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't mean you get to not answer your constituents. When someone reaches out to their elected official, they deserve a response. And in order for us to help these people understand that, we have to teach them. And if we're not willing to teach them how to behave, then we can expect them to behave as they have been behaving. And for more dolts, idiots, and halfwits to be elected, which is what we've been seeing. So uh, we have just enough time here to listen to Thomas Sowell talking about inequality, and this is brilliant, but everything he says is brilliant. It's just kind of amazing how much brilliance emanates out of this man. It's number three.
1: Hey, I want more money for myself. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that someone else has an obligation to pay it. Uh, If you're paying people for their work uh, instead of just paying them for what they think they need, uh, then clearly these people wouldn't be working for Walmart if someone else thought their work was worth more than Walmart is paying. They, they, they really are for helping, uh, they're for helping people who are disadvantaged, as they put it. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- whereas I think conserv- conservatives want, want to stop people from being disadvantaged. In other words, the liberals want to help the poor while they're poor, but really the biggest benefit is to stop them from being poor. And th- that they have very little interest in. I guess uh, uh, the Rousseau notion, you know, that man is born free, but is everywhere and changed, that the real problem of the world is that the institutions are wrong. If the institutions were right, then man, would, there, there was nothing in human nature that would cause us to be unhappy. It's the fact that we have the wrong institutions.
4: And do you hear that? <laughs> so he, he's uh, kind of outlining the differences between liberal and conservative thought. And he basically says that conservatives recognize that human nature means the poor will always be with us, that there will always be corruption and there, there will always be people that are, you know, flouting the system, working the system, et cetera. But what you want to do is put, you know, the the most honest people you can find into positions of power. You want them to be held accountable by the citizen electorate, and you want as little government as possible because people, when made free through freedom from government, that liberty enables the kind of creativity that we see on steroids here in America. It is A function that the bigger the government is, the more it encroaches on that creative spirit that drives entrepreneurship and philanthropy and and just overall good works. And liberals think that if we could just get government right, if we could just fix that socialism, just just implement it correctly, we could get it. We could if we could just do communism in a way that didn't kill people, we could just figure this thing out. Just one more chance. Just give me one more chance. That's Bernie Sanders. Just let me do Bernie Sanders socialism, which would be eventually become communism. And I promise you, everyone would write a book and we'd all be millionaires and we'd also all be communists. Let me do it. And they're wrong because they would never take into consideration human nature, which is flawed and depraved and in need of a savior. I mean, I don't know what else, I, what else can we say? All right, when we get back, we'll have more calls and more Stacy on the right, stay there.
5: Here's American Family Association President, Tim Wildman. Lynn Ingram and Jim Duncan, two Texans, support and believe in our ministry here at AFA and AFR. We know more about the laundry business than anything else. We know a little bit about a lot of things, but we know a lot about the laundry and dry cleaning business. They created a laundry detergent to sell to folks to support AFA.
1: We just want to be able to provide a product that can be used by AFA to support the ministry.
0: When you wash your family's clothes with Redeem Clean laundry detergent, you can take great satisfaction in knowing that you're supporting the vital work of the American Family Association. It's a unique way to increase your giving to AFA. For clean laundry and support of a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Learn more about the Redeem Clean products when you visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Nearly half of American adults report sometimes or are always feeling lonely. That same study by Cigna also found that nearly the same percentage reported feelings of being left out. That is why they say loneliness is at epidemic levels. 25 years ago, I wrote a book, Signs of Warning, Signs of Hope, making a number of predictions for the future. Chapter 8 set forth the case for a coming crisis of loneliness. Years later, Philip Slater wrote about the pursuit of loneliness. The U.S. Census Bureau documented the increasing number of adults living alone. Dan Keeley talked about living together loneliness in one of his books. And Roberta Hestonese coined the term crowded loneliness. This trend was there for anyone to see if they began reading some of the sociological literature. Of course, lots of people have written about the crisis of loneliness since then. Robert Putnam wrote about it in his famous book, Bowling Alone. He argues that people need to be connected in order for our society to function effectively. Putnam concludes social capital makes us smarter, healthier, safer, richer, and better able to govern a just and stable democracy. In his book, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, Senator Ben Sass laments that our traditional tribes and social connectedness are in collapse. All of this comes at a cost. Julianne Holt-Lundstedt, has published research showing that people with weaker social ties had a 50% increased likelihood of dying earlier than those with stronger ones. Being disconnected, she says, is comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. The loneliness epidemic has arrived. Pastors and churches need to address this dangerous trend. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a
1: free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info slash socialism. That's viewpoints.info slash socialism. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Look, we're spending $3.5 right now. We are spending twice as much per capita on health care as any other nation. What our system does is get rid of... Insurance companies and drug companies making billions of dollars in profit every single year. And what happens to those
2: insurance companies after your plan is implemented?
1: If you want cosmetic surgery, we under Medicare for all we cover all basic health care needs. I suppose if you want to make yourself look a little bit more beautiful, you want to work on that nose area, uh, they can do that. But so basically,
2: Blue Cross Blue Shield would be reduced to nose jobs, something like that.
1: Yep. Yeah.
4: And why does Bernie Sanders keep talking about this when 177 million Americans have made a conscious decision to contract with their employer for health insurance? Because he's got to get some people used to this idea. Look at the success he's had in dragging the Democrats to the left by presenting himself as a so-called democratic socialist and peddling these kind of unsuccessful, crazy European type social policies. Uh, I, I, I'm not, I, I honestly, I don't know anybody who has health insurance, who's been sick at all. If you've ever been sick, I mean, admitted to the hospital, had a surgery, had a negative diagnosis, had some kind of a condition that you're going to physical therapy for. I don't know anybody who's had any of that going on who would say, you know what I really wish for, I just really wish that the federal government was in charge of my health insurance. Oh my goodness. No, you don't. You're so glad you have insurance. Now, are your co-pays what you want? I don't know. Is your deductible what you want? I, look, let's be real here. We all know that if we could have something that was free, that was still good, all of us would jump on it with both feet. But we, there is no free and still good. And actually, there's no free because someone's still got to pay for it. American taxpayers will fund Medicare for all. But when they're done doling out the cash and that huge deficit remains, health insurers will start to make hard choices and that's when because right now you you know you you get sick I use here in St. Louis for example because we have a lot of really good health health uh, providers here These um, these healthcare systems like uh, Barnes Jewish Hospital, Mercy Hospital, Missouri Baptist Hospital system um, Washington University has their School of Medicine and Washington U- University physicians actually are a part of Barnes Jewish Hospital. Uh, it, I mean, it's just an amazing, uh, not just research, but the actual care that you get here. And so, of course, there are mistakes and, of course, there are, you know things that, that go wrong. But on the whole, if, if you show up sick to the doctor in the morning, uh, you know, like on tomorrow morning on Thursday and your doctor says, I can't tell what's going on in your stomach. You need a CT, you need a CT scan. You can get that done, this, not just the same day, but before lunch. Um, you know, almost, there are, there, are, there are CT machines in every hospital system and then they have individual centers where you can go as well. Um, if you need an MRI, if you need, what, it, what do you need? What test do you need? You can get it done within 24 hours. It is not that way in Canada. In, in England, it can take up to nine months to get a CT. If you need a CT because you have something going on in, your, in the trunk of your body, in your abdomen, let's say, and you don't get the CT scan for nine months, you're dead before you hit. You, you, you don't last. If you have other symptoms that indicate you need a CT and they don't put you on some antibiotics or something so you can make it through that nine-month wait, you're dead. You're dead. And that is what I don't understand about uh, liberals who they're they're so into their feelings and they just want something so badly. They just want to do something. But do you are you okay with while you're doing something for people to die? Or is that just an acceptable cost of doing business, uh, you know, to make yourself feel good? I mean, feel good all you want to have whatever feelings you want. But for goodness sake, stay out of other Americans health insurance. The idea behind creating legislation to improve our health insurance situation in America or to improve health care should be that you provide something that's better than what's already here. I don't see that happening when rich, I mean, super rich people like Mick Jagger, he recently had surgery. He's been living in England for years. He came back to the United States to have his surgery. Why would he do that if single payer was so good? He's rich. He can choose to have surgery anywhere he wants. He could even pay someone in England to do the surgery. Why did he come back to the United States if it's so good, if single payer is so awesome? But I can't find any liberals to answer that for me. I can't find a one. Like, where are y'all? Where are you at? All right. So let's pivot into a discussion about the Department of Justice reviewing the conduct of the FBI's 2016 Russia probe. This is real. Apparently, it's going to happen. I've been very skeptical, by the way. Um, so here's William Barr talking about that yesterday in his testimony. Oh, he was just so like, <laughs> I didn't get to watch much because I was so busy yesterday and today. But William Barr, he just does not have time to care about how emotional you might be getting over him being there. You can rant, you can rave, and he's just going to be even keeled. He, does he, he, doesn't, he doesn't bounce. He doesn't, he doesn't sway. He's just like, okay, you look upset, but here's my answer. No, I'm not lifting my voice up. I'm not getting excited. You seem you seem miffed, but I'm I'm still good over here. Bar, good over here. Here's number one.
2: The office uh, of the Inspector General has a pending investigation of the FISA process in in the Russian investigation, and I expect that that will be complete in probably in May or June. I am told. So hopefully we'll have some answers from uh, Inspector General Horowitz on the issue of the FISA warrants or more, gen, more generally, uh, I am reviewing the conduct of the investigation and trying to get my arms around all the, the aspects of the uh, counterintelligence investigation that was conducted during the summer of 2016.
4: Mm, okay. So what he's saying here is that, you know, here's a timeline of what I expect to be able to review and look at. Um, We know that, you know, uh, we know that there's some things that have gone on. Um, So we can be cautiously optimistic that with him reviewing this kind of dispassionately, I mean, you hear the way he's talking there. He's not like, yeah, we're looking into it and we're about to, some heads are going to roll. He's not like that. And he's also not like, we're looking into it, and I guarantee you nothing's going to come of it because people need to be protected. You see the, the different ends of the spectrum that that uh, reflects. He's not he's not on either side of that. He is saying we're going to find out more. We're going to continue to look into this, and we expect to be done at this point. Now, he actually was being asked uh, that that line of question was coming from Robert Aderholt, and there there is this big issue of whether or not the submissions to the FISA court by the DOJ and FBI um, were done properly, whether they were lawful and they were able to gain a title one surveillance warrant against us person Carter page. But to what end, why did they do that? Um, So he's reviewing the conduct of the investigation He's trying to get his arms around all the aspects of the counterintelligence investigation that was conducted during the summer of 2016 against a U.S. presidential candidate, by the way, which should frighten everyone, not frighten like you can't get anything done. You're scared. And you're in a corner. But you should be alarmed that this was launched against a U.S. person. The FISA court was never meant to be a surveillance tool against Americans. So he's taking personal interest in the events behind the July 31st, 2016 origination of the Crossfire Hurricane counterintelligence operation. The review is actually going much further than Inspector General Horowitz because he's taking the review all the way to the origin of the the intelligence community operation. So he's basically going to go, he's going to roll things all the way back and look at what started the entire ball of wax rolling. That's fantastic. That's fantastic for us as taxpayers, as Americans interested in justice, and as people who want to see equal scrutiny applied to those who did this entire witch hunt. Yeah, I said witch hunt. I mean, what can you do? What can you do? Please keep listening. So Bloomberg reported that AG Barr had assembled a team to review controversial counterintelligence decisions that were made by Justice Department and FBI officials. And, you know... um, Look, Republican lawmakers have been pursuing these allegations for over a year. And it, we know for a fact that all of the investigation about the collusion and yada, yada, yada was tainted by anti-Trump bias. We've seen the text messages. We've heard them testify about, about the, the text messages. We know about the, the clandestine affair between the two FBI agents. Um, so that this is, this is good. This is a good thing for us. Um, I'm glad that A.G. Barr is dispassionately seeking a resolution to this. Now, the editor of the award-winning Washington Free Beacon, Matthew Continetti, actually had a little commentary about, uh, he compared Barr to Comey. And it's an interesting exchange here. It's number two.
0: I'm shocked that Chuck Schumer is dubious about Barr. I mean, we've gone from a Trump-Russia conspiracy, which seems to have been disproven by Mueller's investigation, to a Trump-Barr conspiracy, which has been quickly adopted by the Democrats as the new political play. But the way to understand Barr, I think, is to view him as the anti-Comey. He's done everything by the book, and as in contrast to the way that Comey kind of went ahead and inserted himself into the public sphere with his announcements about the investigations, and starting with that initial letter on that Friday, when Barr was literally citing regulations, stipulating this is why I'm sending the letter, this is why I'm going to prepare the report, this is the, the special counsel had no objections to, did nothing um, out of line. Uh, he has done exactly what one would expect from someone who follows the book
4: and so it, you know what do, what can we do he's going to follow the book that's what we want so if he comes back and says even though the text messages were improper and you know there there's there's definitely the dossier that was you know utilized other than those things everything else was done according to fbi protocol then we more likely than not i would be shocked to hear him say that but you know we, we could probably trust that he looked at it and it was it was true Um, but if he comes back and says there was wrongdoing, of course, the Democrats will wail and squeal, but we can also be pretty assured that he's, he's coming from a place where he's not a partisan, uh, hack. He's been in, in Washington DC for decades under Republican and Democratic administrations. And so I'm willing to keep back and, and allow him to do his investigation and wait for the results and see what, what comes out of it. Yes, I believe it was a witch hunt. Yes, I believe the dossier was absolutely not uh, credible and should never have been used and, and repackaged and repurposed in order to create, uh, you know, a probable cause or whatever they call it to get the FISA warrants done. I haven't changed my mind about any of that. But I'm going to wait and see what this man finds out before, uh, you know, passing the ultimate final judgment on it. Yeah, I still think it's a witch hunt, but we'll see. Maybe he'll say it wasn't. And then I'll have to say, oh, So maybe it wasn't. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to go back and say, oh, I'm, I was wrong about that. I've done that before. I'm willing to do it again. Um, unlike some people, CNN, MSNBC, unlike those guys, I'm willing to do that. Um, I got to say, I want to bring this up one more time. I want to bring this up one more time. Candace Owens yesterday went before the panel on, uh, white supremacy and terrorism or whatever that was, uh, white nationalism or whatever and Ted Lou tried to smear her and she ate all of his lunch and his cookies his snacks his 100 calorie snack bag she ate it all she tore him up and he looked like he was about to cry and i'm not saying that because i'm gloating over him like but he looked completely he was eviscerated he tried her and he found in the balance he was he was wanting he was wanting he wasn't able to withstand the truth that she was putting down. And I know a lot of, there was a lot of discussion back channel wise. I saw people were saying, oh, you know, can she handle the, the, the rigor of testifying? Is she the best expert we have? Yada, yada, yada. But they needed a little bit of smacking. That's what I feel like that. I feel like when they decided they were going to bring her in to testify that she, she was the, the smack hand. They brought her in to be the smack hand of the show. And that's what she did. And um, she made some statements that needed to be made to those Democrats. She she talked about how Democrats want to keep black people as victims. They needed to hear her say that. And other people who were watching who've never heard that said needed to hear it. And her clipped Stanford-esque tones were perfect for the smackdown. The smack hand was delivered and that's what they needed at the time. I know there's concern, yada, yada, yada you know, have the concerns, have those feelings, be the, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm all about everybody. Do you, you do you, but there's, there's a moment when a smack hand is needed. And yesterday was one of those moments and she delivered the smack hand to those who were, it was appropriate. It, it worked out good. Do they need to have some more, um, uh, like experts in that arena, people who've maybe, you know, done some think tank work or, or written some white papers or certainly done the research and, and written some books. Yeah, I do. I think that that would be appropriate as well. Um, but we know for a fact that Democrats don't listen to facts and statistics and figures. And so having her in yesterday was just fine. I thought it was perfectly fine. I know there were some who probably thought that I would be against her being there, but I wasn't. Not even in the slightest, and I expected her to deliver, and she did. So not bad. I think I think I think it worked out great, and I'm glad she was there. Um, so in the next segment, we are going to talk about the southern border. Uh, I've been holding off, guys. I just it's so disturbing to see what has been going on at the southern border and what is expected. So we'll discuss some of those numbers. We will delve into some of the reasonings behind it. Um, I, I do think we're seeing a concerted campaign. Uh, it's it's an onslaught, like an invasion that's being, it's orchestrated, that's being leve- leveled against our southern border. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by that when we get back and we'll talk about it a little bit more. I just, yeah, not, not okay, not okay. Um, and I think, I think, A lot of Americans are waking up to it. In some ways, it's almost a blessing to have this complete and utter meltdown of the system that's being spurred on by outside influences because it means that Americans who would never pay attention to this issue are being forced to look at it and forced to confront what the Democrats are supporting. And that can only be good in the long run. But what will happen in the short run? We'll talk about it when we get back. Stay there. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage.
2: When you're in professional sports, people tend to see only your on-field life. They think you're immune to the normal trials that everyone goes through, but that is far from the truth. Within one several-month period, our family had to deal with losing my dad and dealing with Lauren's major health problem. But those trials pulled us closer together as a family and gave us a chance to talk to our children about God and His sovereignty.
4: Even when we can't explain why God answers our prayers the way He does, we can't lose faith in Him. It can be tough sometimes, but God will hear you even when your prayers aren't answered the way you would like. Tony and Lauren Dungey, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at coachdungy.com.
3: On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him?
5: Why do you look for the living among the dead?
4: Where's Jesus?
5: He's not here he has risen
4: Jesus was alive he's alive
0: Jesus was betrayed abandoned mocked beaten and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me the son of God was buried and after three days he rose from that grave American
5: Family Radio encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God.
1: It's Fox Wheel.
5: Ford has filed several trademark applications over the past week in regard to electrified cars, including for the Mustang Mach-E name, as Ford confirms it's working on both a hybrid Mustang and a Mustang-inspired all-electric SUV. Both vehicles are expected to be revealed next year, including a high-performance SUV with a range of 300 miles per charge. Fox News Auto reports the recent patent suggests the hybrid Mustang could combine a V8 with electric motors. To provide all all-wheel drive a Mustang first. A single mom in Nevada has a pretty cool son. 13-year-old William Preston traded in his Xbox along with some help around the yard to buy his struggling mom a car.
2: And I was like mom there's your car.
5: The almost 20-year-old white Chevy Metro life-changing for Crystal Joe Preston. I lost it. I bawled. KOLO reports that Preston, her three kids and three dogs recently had to start over. Jeff Manasso, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right.
1: Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
3: You'll remember on other networks, people were saying caravanish, sarcastically saying that, oh, gee, after the election is not an issue. Folks, in the fiscal year so far, we've had 104 of these, 104 so-called caravans with at least 100 people two years ago in fiscal year 2017 we had exactly two we've gone from two to 104 Hmm. stop denying what you see in front of you we've got people still searching for the elusive collusion and will deny what's right in front of them which is over 100,000 migrants presented at the border just last month alone that was a 35 percent jump from february from the month before and you're absolutely right the flow is different for years really a decade ago most of them were single males coming from Mexico and you can return them very easily to their home country. Now you have 8,000 or so unaccompanied uh, minors last month, you have the family units from the Northern Triangle countries. It's a perilous journey. It is a security and a humanitarian crisis at the border. And let me say one more thing. Anybody who can look at me with a straight face and tell me that they know what happens to those young children once they're released into the United States Mm -hmm. is lying. It's wishful thinking that they're, oh, they're united with family members and sponsors, and they're gainfully employed, and life is uh, life is wonderful. Roses and lollipops after that. You don't know where they are. You don't know if they, who's human trafficked, who's murdered, who, who's with a gang. Right. Um, I've got girls 14, 11, and 9. They are, with it, all three of them, within the range of the girls being pumped with birth control and pregnancy tests because we know this journey mm. is perilous. Stop lying right. and start doing. Yeah, and for everybody who has
4: kids uh, at home in the house, you're listening to. I mean, if you if your brain synapses fire with any regularity, you're listening to Kellyanne Conway, a White House advisor uh, to the president. You, you're listening to her, and you're thinking, "What kind of horror show are we running here in this country?" I mean, just for one second, imagine. So. Do you know how difficult it is for some, especially people living in poverty and who have transient living situations, keeping track of kids that do you see how many kids go missing in America? And then you're saying to me that you think that kids who are brought into the country by so-called guardians, not their relatives, not people who care about them. The kid is a ticket into America that they're going to suddenly take care of that kid. I mean I I don't know many parents who won't admit that it being a parent is difficult. But the tether that you have to your own child or a child that you've adopted into your family or you know extended relative that you're raising that child is that there's that connection. You want the child. The child is connected to you because they've been with you for years since birth or since they came into your family through whatever circumstances and you're responsible for them because there's a whole community of people that know that this child is yours. So if you suddenly show up with no kid or your kid doesn't show up to school, you know, for more than a couple days in a row, it, it, you start showing up to church or showing up to work and you never have to leave early to pick up your kid or what have you. If, if your routine suddenly changes and the child is missing, there's a community of people who can vouch for the fact that you, yes, you earlier this week, you had two kids. Now you have none. Earlier this week, you had one kid. You have none now. What's what's going on? Where is the kid? You know, they can call the police and say, we know the child existed. Not only do you have a birth certificate, but they were enrolled at this school. And now she says she doesn't know where the kid is. Okay. So there's that. With a kid brought into the country illegally, there is no community of people who can say, he brought a kid here, and they moved in, and now that he doesn't have a kid, you bear, we, we don't even know these people. They're not moving into communities and joining a church and start working you know, down at the grocery store, and you know everybody that's there, and you, you have all this. There's no relationship. All it is is just a bunch of people coming into the country illegally and disappearing into the countryside. So imagine the circumstances for a kid who's in that situation. You're in a situation where you're with an adult who doesn't care about you. They used you to get into America. And then once they're in America, the minute you get inconvenient, the minute you're crying too much, you're sick, you're not doing what you're told, they'll sell you to somebody else because they can take that money and do more with it than they can with you. They needed you to get into the country. They don't need you anymore. This is the hellish type of situation that Democrats are supporting in this country. Democrats are actually supporting the trafficking of human beings. And if you even dare try to email me and say, I'm not telling the truth or that I'm working on behalf of Satan, I'm going to put your email and all of your details on stacyontheright.com. Please know that I'm not kidding about that. I have other hate mail up over there. Why should you be any different? So don't try me. You are, because there are only two choices here. You either support the border being sealed and us having lawful immigration at all points of entry, or you're supporting the human trafficking. Now, I know there are a lot of people who have really taken issue with me over saying that Christians cannot support abortion. I'll add something to that, because if you're already mad, you might as well be as mad as you possibly can get. You also cannot be a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian who has a relationship with Jesus Christ and support human trafficking. That's just not, those things don't go together. And I know we all have room for we have room for discussion and debate and conversation. I'm not debating the hows of the issue. I'm not debating whether or not we should use some surveillance and a wall as a combination one to punch. I'm saying that we know for a fact that because of the way the laws are being abused and misused and these erroneous court rulings from the Looney Ninth Circuit and others, that our laws are being used to facilitate the trafficking of young girls and boys into America. And afterwards we have no way of tracking them and making sure that they're not being sexually trafficked, sold into sexual slavery or used for prostitution, sexually abused, or simply killed and left somewhere. We don't have any way to track that in the age of technology. I'm always talking about how fantastic it is to be in America and how much of a, a you know, we, we're at a high level of a society, but we just don't have that thing down yet, do we? And, and people really, I'm just always surprised that out of all the stuff that we discuss on this show, all of the topics, everything that we, we delve into, we just don't shy away from any issues. We've had Rachel Dolezal on the show before, just to show you just where, where, where we will go to have the conversation and to, and to, and to get the information out there. Which, by the way, she's actually been brought up on, uh, I think it's welfare fraud charges. She's still wearing those uh, black weaves, though. The, the weaves and stuff from the black hair shops, the Chinese hair shops that sell the black hair. She's still wearing that. Um, so, out of all the things that we discussed that we could disagree on, it's the immigration issue where I see people just, they're literally quoting scripture and advocating for illegal immigration in the same email. Do you think that when I see that, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're right. The Bible does say we should let people come in illegally and allow them to sexually traffic kids into the country. You're right. MS 13 really does have the spark of divinity, and they do deserve to be here. And when they decapitate people and rip their hearts out of their bodies and bury them with the heart next to the body for their relatives to find, that's just them acting out of frustration because they're not getting jobs and stuff, and they don't have an opportunity to really fully realize the American dream. That may be the way your mind works, but that's not me. Uh, not only does my mind not work that way, I think that is lunacy. That is utter lunacy. But I'm not making it up. I'm not mocking you. I'm sharing with you things that have actually been shared with me by people who have the ability to sit upright in front of a laptop or computer or phone and use their fingers in patterns that enable them to type so they can send stuff to me that sounds like that. Like they're wasting their time emailing me that garbage. It's like looking into uh, the mind of something that doesn't have a mind. It's like looking into an empty can it's like a black hole that just sucks information in and destroys it. What is going on? What is going on with people? I don't know. I have no idea actually. I have no idea what is going on. But I tell you what, in in the in the interest of making sure that we're we're covering all the bases. You know, if there if there was a way that we could just open up the border, and let any person who wanted to come in live here, would you still want to live here? That's an honest question. If any person from any country, regardless of their background, criminal status, um, any skills they're bringing, how many people they're bringing with them could just move here, how long would it be before you wouldn't want to live here anymore? I would dare say it wouldn't take any more than a year. Most, most Americans will be already packing and on their way out to someplace else. But here's the secret. There isn't anywhere else to go. There's no other country where you're going to go and be able to establish, you know, America part two or little America or anything like that. that there's, there's no place. So we have to protect what we have here. Uh, lots of people like to point out that heaven has walls and gates. I love that. If you go to Revelation, which the Bible actually says that people who read and listen to and share information about Revelation will be blessed. If you read Revelation and you look at what the Bible says about what heaven is like, it's clear that it doesn't have an open borders policy. If it did, we wouldn't be so concerned about sanctification, living right, accepting Jesus into our hearts, et cetera, et cetera. We could just live however we wanted to, be as depraved and crazy as we wanted, and then afterwards go and live in heaven with all of the, the beauty of heaven and just, you know, stroll in there and thumb our finger at God. Be like, I'm here. What you going to do? That's that, that's that's what it would be like. <laughs> but instead, because that's what the illegal aliens are doing. They're strolling in here. They're like, what y'all going to do? We're here and we're loving it. We're about to get us some good government benefits paid for by you, taxpayers. Heaven is not open borders and neither can any country that wishes to remain a country be open borders. So I said, we would talk about the the impetus. So what we're seeing is basically an effort by organizations, some inside the country, but some outside the country to overwhelm our, uh, our immigration system. It's not organic because of the increase 76,000 or so last month. 100,000 this month, and next month they're expecting 130,000 people to cross into America illegally, and there's apparently they just can't stop it. Now, of course, there are leftist globalist groups that are funded by George Soros, and they're probably the, the organizations, like we can trace the charter buses and all of that to those organizations funding them. Um, And then, of course, Mexican drug cartels are very cash rich. They have they have lots of money that they can pour into efforts that help advance their aims of dealing drugs in, uh, you know, rich countries like America. Mexican drug cartels are actually moving migrants north because. They just have a better opportunity of dealing drugs when they do that. When we're busy trying to take care of unaccompanied minors and family units, they're busy hauling drugs into this country that they can sell on the streets of America. And they've automated the system. It's no longer people wearing their feet down to nubs on the 1,400-mile journey. It's people getting on buses and other modes of mass transit to get here. Now, think about it. The first president we've had in our adult lifetimes who would ever say not only did he run on immigration, but he's actually trying to do what he ran on. How many other presidents have promised during their campaign to do something about illegal immigration? Bill Clinton promised. George Bush promised. Barack Obama even said that illegal immigration wasn't something that we want here in this country. We want people to come here lawfully. He said that when he was a senator. Not one of them did anything substantial On immigration, but Donald Trump is doing it. And that is why they've pulled the trigger. Now, who is they? Uh, I mean, it's the Chamber of Commerce. I don't think the Chamber of Commerce funds caravans, but they're not going to help do anything like donate money to candidates who would stop it. And if the safety net breaks, then Americans will scream and call for something else, something. Uh, something more drastic, right? Americans revolting against the government, not being able to stop migrants from flooding American towns and cities. And what would happen exactly? Because Americans, we're, we're very civilized people. You're not gonna see Americans running around shooting a bunch of folks or breaking the law because Americans don't wanna go to jail because we know the laws apply to us. But what what do you think would happen? They don't know, but they'd rather see the entire system break down then allow Donald Trump to use the system to fix our immigration system. Mexico's not funding it. Um, and and they're, not, they're not doing much to help, but they're also, they're trying to help now a little bit, but they're never going to be fully wholeheartedly into it because of the remittances. They love those remittances. So like I said, um, Look, the Department of Homeland Security reported that federal agents apprehended around 100,000 people at the U.S. border with Mexico in March alone. The figure for February was near 76,000. They're expecting 130,000 next month. We'll find out who's behind it eventually. Of course, it's Democrats in Congress, probably some Republicans. But before then, if we don't get it under control, it will overwhelm the system and bring about some change that none of us are prepared for. It's an unintended consequence that people are learning about it more, and that's good, but the rest of it's all bad. Let's keep praying about it, everybody. Good evening from the heartland. God bless you. Back with you tomorrow, Lord willing.